You know, we are in the middle of a series, Out of the Shadows, Living in His Light. We're looking at Ephesians chapters 4 through 6. You know, the first three chapters, Paul established, this is what it's like to be in His light. Those were the first three chapters, foundation. And then he moves into the next three chapters, 4 through 6, and he said, so let's start doing something about it. That's what chapters 4 through 6 is. It's out of the shadows. It's time to get involved. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Some of you are like, I could already quote those verses. Good for you. So today we're going to actually work a little bit through what we know, and let's try to get a fresh challenge as well as to where we can go from there. Wolves. Have you ever seen these images on the TV screen of wolves? And they've got them, they're in captivity, these large, giant captivity arenas. And they're running around and there's, you know, snow on the ground, how appropriate for today. And we see these, these great Canadian wolves and how they're interacting. Scientists have done tons of study on how they interact. And what they found is there's like alpha and there's beta and there's all the way down to omega levels. Can you imagine being the omega wolf? That must have been a rough time. But like they have all these levels of pecking order, right? And in the midst of all these levels of pecking order, how do they determine who gets to be at what level? The battle, the fight. That's what we know about wolves. Now, just recently, there was actually somebody who loved wolves so much that they decided to go out and explore and videotape and record over a couple years' time what they saw in the wild, not just in captivity. And guess what they found out? It's different. It's not like that. How is it? You know what it's like? It ends up being that the breeding mother and father, they end up creating this pack that below them is the gathered children. We might call that a family. And that's actually the pack that you would know of in the wilderness. You end up seeing the mother and father and the children and so on out for several years, two, three, four years of pups gathered with them. And then at some point, a pup might be old enough that they step out and then they start their own family of breeding and pack. That's how the wolves live in the wild. When we throw them all into a, in a smaller area, we create sort of a, an aberration, a different way of living. Maybe not unlike throwing a bunch of high schoolers into a detention hall for a year and seeing how they behave, you know, and then saying, that must be how humans behave. It's a little different in the wild, in the natural, in the natural zone. It's about family. So how does God want the family of us to work out? What should our household be like? How do we enjoy a godly household? You know, these wolves already know about families and hanging together and having certain policies and procedures that they go by with nothing written down. What is it what God would want for us to go through, to live naturally and enjoyably together? That's what we're going to be looking at today. How to enjoy a godly household. How to enjoy living together. Mothers and fathers and children, with some screaming involved sometimes, <laughs> enjoying it. Okay? That's what we're going to be looking at. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. If you do not have your Bibles, we have the ushers coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. Just raise your hand. We would love to get one to you. Okay? We're going to be going verse by verse through this. So just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I'll start by reading. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you 
and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Okay. We had started a couple weeks back talking about, uh, Kent actually ended in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 21, and the challenge there was submit yourselves to one another. And then last week we talked about the role of husbands and wives. And so some of us went home and experienced a great week as we interacted together and others began to make some changes and maybe had some struggling weeks as we talked about husbands and wives and the role in the home. And, uh, and either way, remember this, God is about growing us. We're not just about being here to say, I got it all together. That's not what we're here for. We're here to say, where do I need to grow, Lord? Teach me and train me. So let's just keep our eyes and ears open today to hear what more we might need to, to learn about growing and changing, okay? First point that Paul has for us. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, nurture your children. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, nurture your children. How do we enjoy a happy household? Well, this is going to be a big part of it. A godly household is going to be about children and fathers understanding their roles, okay? So let's just plod through this here, okay? Let's start right first word, children. So it's pretty clear that Paul's talking to that Paul's talking to, there we go, okay? So, children, all right. Now, one thing we do want to keep in mind, just a little cool thought here. This is a letter that Paul wrote, and he actually wanted to challenge the church at Ephesus. So who does it mean would have been in the services and listening? Children, okay? Kind of a cool thought, all right? So there's this interaction across the generations. Now, what does that word children actually mean? In the Greek, it does not mean little tiny one. Okay, it doesn't have that, that inkling to it. What it means instead is one under parents' authority. One still under the parents' rule. One still living at home. It's kind of an inkling there, all right? So if we were to look at this word, we do need to understand it this way. From zero till whenever you're leaving the house, you're under the parents' authority. Now, we're going to get to what parents' authority means in a little bit, okay? So hopefully we're not raising our 24-year-olds like we'd raise our 10-year-olds, but... A lot of times, we return back to our parents' home after college. I did. I was at home for a few years after college. And uh, you get some interesting interactions and growing times there. And uh, in the midst of that, the neat part about it is, as an adult, as a young adult, you're beginning to spread your wings, and yet there's still a lot you have to learn. And so what this is challenging is, wherever you're at, if you're still under the parents' authority, if you're still at home, spend some time understanding what it means to obey and then parents make sure, we're going to get to it in a little bit, but parents make sure you're not exasperating with the extended amount of ruling. When you've got a 24-year-old, we may want to not want to treat them like the 10-year-old, okay? That's kind of the challenge going on. So children, second word, obey your parents. Obey. This word, it's got a simple meaning. We know what it means. I've got a basic definition here. I just wrote down, um, to, it's an action. It means to follow commands immediately. To follow commands immediately. Okay, put the word immediately in there because here's the deal. If I walk in and I say, honey, please make your bed today. 
And she says, I'll get to it. And then she moves on. And it gets towards later in the day. And I'm like, honey, I asked you to make your bed. I'll get to it tomorrow. No, I really need you to make your bed. Is it really obedience to say, I'll do it on my time, my place, my way? Or is it more obedience to say, sure, I understand you're in charge. You're asking me to get that done. I'll get it done. Okay? It really is important. The significance of the word obedience is not, whatever. I'll get to it sometime. Okay? It is, okay, you're in charge. That is the significance of obedience. It means promptly. All right? So listening to and responding to promptly. That's obey. Obey your parents in the Lord. So here we go again, same as last week. What we're talking about is primarily we're responding to God himself in the Lord. So it's about a relationship with him. It's about knowing him. It's about children, know first God Almighty and be responding to him. And then second, understand that God has placed in your life an authority, your parents, and then respond to them rightly. So if a parent is asking a child to break the law, to do something that is wrong in God's eyes, then the proper response is, I'm actually following through with God as my leader, first and foremost. I love you, but God's asking me not to. Can we please talk about this? I'm not going to follow through with that. It is legitimate to not follow through when they're being asked to break the law. You know, the example last week. Okay, son, I want you to go rob a bank today. We need a little bit of cash flow. All right. I'm not going to do that, Dad. That's an okay answer, okay? But in general, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. It basically says, obey God first, then men, okay? That's what we're talking about here. So we need to be careful that as parents, we're calling our children to be obedient to true biblical position, not to something that's sin. And we're asking them to obey God first, and then us, okay? So, in the Lord, for this is right. This is God's way. This is what he wants done. Let's honor God through doing things his way. Children, got a spot in the world. And it's to listen to our parents and to be raised and grown by them. That's where we're at, okay? High schoolers, I'm 17 years old. I know what I'm doing. I can drive. I understand and I appreciate that. Congratulations, okay? Maybe even 16 and can drive, right? Here's the reality. We still have parents and we still need to be listening. Parents on the same side, you have a 16-year-old, not a 6-year-old. And so we need to have less of the heavy-handed tightness to it and working with them. But at the same time, you are in charge of the home and your rules are the rules of the house. So high schoolers, yep, need to listen to parents, okay? Hear that? Heed that, maybe you'll have a better week this week, all right? It helps out a lot. I understand that as we grow and we shape and we learn, we want to be releasing our kids into the world, and we're not releasing them at 16 and 15 and 14, okay? But what we should be doing is shaping along the way so there's less of a mandate and a control when they're 10 as when they were 6, when they're 16 as to when they were 10. We're releasing them into being able to make great decisions as young adults. That's what releases them to the world the best. Okay? So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Yep, we could pretty much quote that verse, right? That's great. We know it. Next verse. Honor. Honor your father and mother. Here's the deal. Obey is an action word. Honor is an attitude word. All right? And that's a big difference. So we want both the action and the attitude to be in the right place in the home. That's what we're being challenged with. Okay? 
obey and honor. He doesn't just say, conform the exterior, make them do the right thing, but basically honor as well. Honor your father and mother. Honor is another word for it, maybe respect or reverence or love. It means, I understand you're in charge and I understand you answer to God for what's going on in this home and I am going to respect what you're asking me to do. I'm going to work with you. You've got a big calling, mom. You've got a big calling, dad. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to honor who you are. Honor your father and mother. Now he goes a little further. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Here's what he's basically saying. Look, when God made the top 10 list, like David Letterman makes a top 10 list, God made the top 10 laws. Guess what? This was number five, okay? And it was the first one that had a legitimate hardcore promise to it. So it's kind of important to God. That's what Paul's saying. Just so we're clear, this is really important. That's what he's saying, okay? I want you to catch this. Number five on the top 10 list, and it comes with a promise. What's the promise? The promise, as he quotes here, is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, live long and prosper. That's what he's saying, that the kids may be able to live long and do well, okay? Now, we have to remember one thing, all right? In the original text, we were in Old Testament law. So we're going to teach a big word here. You ready? Deuteronomic law, okay? You hear the word Deuteronomy in that, okay? Deuteronomic law. This is the time where the law was delivered the second time through Moses. This is what it's about. Here's where I want you to go. And in that law, what we had going on was, you follow it, you're going to be blessed. You don't follow it, we got troubles, okay? Blessings for those who follow the law, cursings for those who don't. That was the era of the law. That's what was going on. And Paul said, under that, the promise was, follow this law and you're going to be promised some life some span of life. They know what they're talking about, heed what they're talking about. So from a practical principle perspective, this is what it is. The principle, you do what the parents say, you're going to actually probably not get in as much trouble as if you did it on your own. But more than that, God's going to be involved in blessing because you're following his commandments, okay? That's what he's saying. Now we go forward into the era of grace. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, so we could just blow that off. Forget about that, right? wrong. We still have the very essence, the truth of what that was. And Paul is saying, while it was Old Testament and there was great promise with it and God was serious about it, I'm telling you, I'm restating today, yes, it applies. Honor your father and mother, just like before. Honor your father and mother. He even went as far as to basically repeat throughout the scriptures, the New Testament, nine out of ten of the laws are restated of the Ten Commandments. He's basically restating, these are important. While I'm saying fulfilled, I don't want you to drop what's going on. Honor your father and mother. It's really, really important, okay? That's the point. So parents, one thing we need to hear is, I guess we have a job to do. If our kids need to be obeying and honoring, then we need to be establishing a presence of leadership in that home. We need to be guiding and directing, shepherding and leading in a way that allows them to sit under our training and still learn and grow, okay? And so as we get to that, he gets done and he says that we may live long in the land. He starts out in verse four, fathers. So here's the second half, right? Children, obey and honor. Fathers, here we go, dads. This is yours and our job, my job, all right? Fathers, 
Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. Some of us have memorized it like the King James. Do not exasperate your children, right? So I asked my daughters this week, what does it mean to provoke you to anger? What provokes you to anger most? This was the answer I got. You tickle me a lot. Okay? So I would prefer if you didn't tickle me as much. Okay, and we do have one of these. We do the bedtime ritual where we come in. John goes with Megan and I go with Alyssa and I can't help it. I have to tickle Alyssa a little bit. So I lay down with her and I'm holding her and I'm talking with her and I pray with her and then, then I tickle her. And it, and it bothers the snot out of her, okay? So here's the reality. I end up needing to say, all right, I'm sorry. I need to stop doing that so much. This is re- actually not what this passage is preaching to, but I won't tickle her as much, all right? Here's the reality. What kind of provoking are we talking about here? When are we provoking our children to anger? Well, he gives us the antithesis, the opposite side. What should we do if we're not provoking them to anger? Look what he says. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How do we provoke them to anger? It's when we're actually bringing them up in some kind of aberrant discipline and instruction of our own. When we're bringing the heavy hand of me on top of them, rather than God's way, that's when we're beginning to cause the problems. MacArthur actually defined it this way. I thought it was a great definition. What does it mean to provoke to anger? It means repeated ongoing pattern that gradually builds a wall of hostility. Repeated ongoing pattern that gradually builds a wall of hostility. That's a pretty neat definition. We really have to be careful. I'll read it one more time. Repeated ongoing pattern that gradually builds a wall of hostility. How do we get the hostility? We're overly strict. We're harsh. We're bringing my way. What's motivating it? I'll tell you what's motivating it. We're driven by dad's comfort. We're driven by dad's wanting peace or dad's desiring of your success. I'll feel most important when I've known that you've made five soccer goals this year. You got to make the goal. You got to start practicing. You got to get better at. You got to drive to. And all of a sudden, it's really more about me and my world. And I'm not really helping shape or change them. As soon as my comfort, my peace, my desire for being happy with my child's success becomes the primary, that's where I'm stepping out of line as a dad. And I'm probably going to overly exert on them. I'm going to give them things, I'm going to give them policies, I'm going to give them demands, commands helpful hints that end up feeling like a heavy weight on them because they're not being grown up in the Lord in that case. They're now being shaped to make daddy happy. Do you hear the difference? We got to be really careful. We're not about going in and trying to just shape the external so that dad can be happy. Have you ever heard uh, the term shepherding a child's heart? Have you heard of that book? It's a phenomenal book. I didn't get a lot of answer yes on that. No real nodding. Okay, so Shepherding a Child's Heart, okay? Tripp is the author. You know, it's not the Bible, so there's some things in there you may go, I'm not sure I really want to go with that. But I will tell you this. There's some great thoughts in there. And this is what he's really getting to. This is the heart core center of the book. We are not there to just control the external of our children. We are there to help train them along the way so that their hearts can become more God-centered so that their passions can be more God-oriented so that as children, they love the Lord and their actions just follow through. Do you hear the difference? So we're not just controlling the behavior. We're helping work with the heart. That means questions like why. Why do you think you did that? What was motivating you? 
And obviously this takes a little bit more age in the, chi- in the child. I'm not saying at a two years old you sit down and say, honey, why did we do that? Like that, at two years old, it's okay to say we're not going to do that, okay? But at some point, the child has the ability to think and interact. And you need to begin to call out, what's motivating you? What's happening? I want to help you be shaped on this. I thought one cool passage was uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. You know, Jesus Christ is being described as growing at that point. So fathers, how do we raise our children? In what areas? Well, Luke tells us that Jesus Christ grew in wisdom and stature in favor with men and with God. So you want four great elements? Scripture focused on wisdom, the mental arena, wisdom, stature, the physical arena and health, in favor with men, the social arena, and with God, the spiritual arena. So you want four areas that we need to be shaping our children in? The mental, the physical, the social, and the spiritual. We need to be working with all aspects of our kids. It's not just one. It's not just getting them to make their bed in the morning. While that might be a great battle, and I understand how the house looks messier without it, it is important that that piece happens so that you're teaching, taking care of the home, but there is way broader than just one or two rules. So we do have a rule of making our beds in the morning. But we're trying to shape more than just that. We need to be looking across four aspects, okay? The mental, the physical, the social, and the spiritual. How are we shaping our children in all of those? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's just turn there real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. You can hear the pages flipping, which is great. I'm going to start reading here. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So start with the relationship with God yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Have a real relationship with God that's changing you. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when? When you sit, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically, it should be a part of everything you do whether you're relaxing or working, whether you're just getting up or just going to bed, whether you're decorating the house, whatever it is you're doing, you're saying, this is why our God matters. The Lord our God is one. He is an amazing, huge, almighty God. And he means everything to me. And I want to share a little bit of him with you. That's what he's saying. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Get passionate about who your God is. Go after him with all you've got. And in the midst of going after him with all you've got, turn and share the love of him into your home. That's how we raise our kids up and not provoke them to anger. We know our God so closely and we love him so much and we share him with our children in all areas of life. That's a pretty big order. That's a very tall order. And we have to be really cautious how we do it. You know... We can take our children and we can say, it's time for my child to change. And so I take my child, the Nerf ball, 
and I squeeze down hard and I have shaped exactly like I want it, my child. And then come some time in their life, probably 18, 19, when they go to college, I let go. Uh-oh, we're right back where we started. The problem is the heart wasn't shaped and changed. What happened was the child was forced externally and the internals weren't shaped to love the Lord their God. What we don't want is what looks good on the outside as we attend church, as we give the right answers, and the heart isn't being changed and challenged. And as we let go, they just go right back to where they were. This is not the plan, okay? So we kick that out of the way. All right. So what is the plan? The plan is for our children to be Play-Doh, okay? What a great, what a great molding tool here. So we end up shaping, and whatever shape you put this thing in, they end up holding. Why? Because the clay is ending up clinging to itself. It's ending up becoming a part of its own shape. And no matter what shape I put it in, this thing ends up holding it. This is what we want to be doing as we work with our children, is working with the heart, working with their inner core of who they are, making sure that it's not some external action that changes, but the very essence of them and their relationship with God is changing. So that as we get done shaping and release them to the world, they end up staying in the shape that we've asked them to be in. Okay? That's a big job, parents. This is our job. And if there was one thing you could walk away with today, walk away saying, no Nerf ball, Play-Doh. Okay? If that's what you walk away saying, you've got the gist. All right? We need to be working with our kids to help shape and grow them so that they love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. Not just us loving the Lord, but them loving the Lord. Question. Kids, those still at home, how are you doing in listening to your parents? How are you doing in obeying what's being asked? When the Lord is challenging you, are you listening? Are you saying, okay, Dad, I understand you've got a huge calling before God, and I'm going to help you out with this. Young adults, sometimes this is a tough one because you're back at home after college, and you're beginning to work out, what does this look like? How do I live my life with my mom and dad where I'm respectful and obedient? That's something you're going to need to be talking out. Certainly the rules should be different than if you're 10, but it is still their home. How are you doing with obeying and showing honor? Parents, how are we doing? How are you doing with being able to shape the heart of the child? Not just demanding and commanding the exterior, but asking for the very love and passion of the Lord to be at their center. How are you doing with working with them so they become the clay that's truly shaped inside and out to be exactly what God wants? We need to first know our Lord with all we have. Do you have a passionate walk with him? It's time to get that started, if not. And then after you've got that going, it's time to share that with all you've got into your family, okay? That's the simple of this passage. It's we need to think about Plato, not the Nerf ball. It's not about the force. It's about the heart shaping. What are they doing and why are they going after it that isn't godly? Let's get that changed not just them stop doing the action. Does that make sense? You understand where we're going? Okay. So children, obey your parents. Fathers, nurture your children. Okay? Second point. 
You know, I'm not going to give you the words quite yet. I just want to read this very quickly, and we're going to talk about it for a second. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Okay. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. So first of all, let's just let you know this. In this day and age that Paul was writing, there were about six million slaves, six million slaves in Rome alone, okay? Over six million. So he was writing to a very real situation. Notice this too. It's in the letter, which means he expected them to be attending the services, okay? So there were active believing slaves as a part of that society. Something else to note. When Paul says slave, he doesn't mean slave like we would mean slave. We think of 1800s. We think of it based on an ethnic racial environment. Usually back then, slavery was something that was established based on financial issues. You were not able to pay something or finish through on something that you had promised. And so what you did is you gave your life or your whole family's life or a part of your family's life over to this person for a period of time to pay off a debt. It involved some level of debt management most of the time, okay? So there were periods of time, seven years, ten years, whatever it was. There were different slavery periods, but people were released after these periods of time. It's a different kind of slavery. Honestly, today we manage it in a little different way. We do something called bankruptcy, and the person who actually was owed something gets nothing, and we move on. The way they managed it was they said, I'll give you my whole life till it's paid off, okay? So it's something to consider. We have to make sure that it's a, we understand it's a little different, okay? It is working with and working in the environment of a home because I owe them something quite often is what it was, all right? Now, that being understood, we also have a statement here in verse 8. See in verse 8, it says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. In other words, these principles are true for slaves as well as non-slaves, for those who are working for someone as well as those who are actually owned by someone for a period of time, okay? So what we can do is we can take this word slave because of the slave or free statement. We know the stuff coming up here is actually able to be applied to anybody, slave or free. So with a little bit of license of liberty, what we're going to do now, okay, this point is employees obey and work hard. Employers lead in a godly fashion. Employees obey and work hard. Employers lead in a, in a godly fashion, all right? Here's the deal. What we are not trying to do is just take the scripture and launch off into some reader response. Oh, this makes me think of when I go to work, so I'll talk about it. That's not what we're doing, okay? It literally has to do with reporting to somebody else, and it literally has to do with whether slave or free. So we are applying it to our lives, okay? So just so you know, what we're not going to do is just take a scripture and say, I'll apply it into this area instead of that area. If it says to apply it in an area, that's where we're going to apply it. And here specifically, it is in the area of work. It really is, slave or free, okay? So employees and employers. Let's just move through this fairly quickly, okay? Slaves, obey your earthly masters. So again, obey. What does it mean? It means when you're working at your job and your boss asks you to do something, it means do what they've asked in a timely fashion, promptly, right? So that's a part of our work ethic. That needs to be a part of who we are in the workforce, all right? Is timely response, obey. With fear and trembling, understanding who they are, great respect for their role as boss over us, okay? So you're working for a company, you've got a guy who's a little heavy-handed, just know this, still show respect, still respond with obedience to what they're asking, okay? What should my heart look like? How should I be doing this? 
with a sincere heart as you would to Christ. With my heart sincerely, passionately wanting to say, you matter. I'm going to respond to you. I am obeying you and what you're asking. So with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now, here come some key words. Not by ways of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, don't just kick your legs up on the table until the boss is walking by, at which point you got the mirror set in just the right way so you can see him coming down the hall and you're like, oh, there he is. Put your legs down, pull something, and the thing pulls up and all of a sudden it looks like you've been working for hours, you know? Kind of, you know, you get the little perspiration thing going so it looks like you're really sweating it out, you know? And then, then the boss goes, wow, what a worker. I wonder why he doesn't put out as much as, well, it turns out it's because you're not really working that hard, right? He's saying, don't be that guy. The guy that only when your boss is watching, then you're working. Be the guy who's working hard because it needs to be done. Does that make sense? See where we're going with this? It's about the heart. And if our heart is sincerely clear before the Lord, then what we're doing is God's watching at all times. It's not about people pleasing. It's about God pleasing. And I'm working hard all the time because I love my Lord. Okay? Diligent, hard work. Following through. Now he says, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Every single time you submit whatever work it is you're doing, every single time you finish a project, know this, you're saying, for you, God. I love you, Lord. Yes, it's true, no matter what work you're in, God cares about it. He has designed you with passions and skills and abilities and talents. He wants you to grow and be shaped and be growing. He is all about you changing and adjusting. God cares that you are actually succeeding where you're at. For you, Lord. For your glory. For your honor. That's what we say as we submit our work. Okay? That's what it's all about. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. God is involved in responding, protecting, and caring. Trust him, work hard. He is going to make a a large-scale impact in your life. Be a great employee, one who obeys, one who works hard. You're going to have your bosses asking you questions if you do it. They're going to be wondering, what is the difference in you versus everybody else around there? Jesus is making the impact. And you're going to have a great testimony to share. Now, some of you are going, are you telling me that Paul is okay with slavery? Is that what you're saying to me? And I think the answer needs to be touched a little bit. All right? We have to be very careful with this. Paul did not write here and say, slaves, I want you to render your services to God. I want you to do this according to him. I want your heart to be sincere to the Lord. That's what I want you to do. And just walk in and say, slavery's dumb, I'm out of here. Is that what you're going to do? No, he didn't say to do that. He specifically did not approach that. What he said and said was, I want your heart shaped and changed to be following the Lord. And in the book of Philemon, he is actually sending a slave back home, Onesimus, and he's saying, this brother, he's just become a brother in Christ. Please treat him as such. Paul is going to change slavery one heart at a time. That's his plan. Paul is going in to say, I want to see great treatment of each person, but I don't want it because I'm just nerfballing it. I don't want this, where I go and I demand that slavery get a certain moral treatment, and then as soon as I let go, it changes. I want true heart treatment. 
I want God and the gospel message to be pouring in and changing society one heart at a time. Do you see what's going on? Paul's message is all about get the gospel shared. Does that mean he's pro-slavery? No. It actually means he's pro wherever you're at, serve as hard as you can, watch God work. You're going to be amazed. That's his message. That's the core of his message. Are you saying it's wrong to fight for slavery? The anti-slavery position in America, is that wrong? You know what? This is a democratic society. And we are availed of being able to share our position and our opinion. And we would be silly to not do it. I have no problem with us sharing what we have through vote, through challenge, through letting our congressmen know where we stand on something. That is what the system is all about. But I will tell you this. Be very careful if you step over that line and your end goal is just the changing of society. That's not Paul's end goal. Paul's end goal is this. I want hearts passionate for him. Paul's end goal is this. I want us shaped and molded to be more like Christ. With all we've got, I want our passion to be Jesus Christ and him crucified. To God be the glory. That's where we need to be. Our hearts and and our minds and our souls, everything going after God with all we've got. That is my power, passion, position. Amen? Now that's different than, boy, I hope we get rid of slavery. Do you hear the difference? That is one moment, one thing, and it does need to be gone. It is a horrible thing in the mistreatment of people, but it is so much bigger than that. It is about eternal security. It is about life with God that lasts forever, and many things need to be changed, and the best way to change it is to bring God into the heart and soul of that man, of that woman. Amen? That's the message, and we need to hear that loud and clear, okay? That being said, employers, some of you own your companies. Here's a great message for you. It's short, it's sweet, it's direct. Verse 9. Masters or employers, do the same to them. In other words, render your service with a good will as to the Lord. Right back to verse 7. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. Understand that you're serving God as you serve your company. Understand that you are leading your company in a godly fashion. Open it up to them so that they can see Christ alive in you. Do the same to them. And then he says, a nice little moment, stop your threatening. Apparently there was a lot of threatening going on. You do this or else kind of things. Doing that kind of statement is right back to the Nerf ball. You do this or else is simply trying to ask people to morph and change for the moment. We haven't done a thing with their hearts. He's basically saying, please work with the inside. Please understand you're serving the Lord with all you've got. Seek for real change, not external control and management. Okay? And lastly, he says that there is no partiality with our God. He is a judging, ruling God, and he does get involved in the life and affairs of you and me. We have a chance to be a great employer, a great employee. We have a chance to bring Christ to the workplace. You know, I worked for an engineering company for 17 years. I was a design engineer, and there was a moment back in uh, 1999, where uh, I was asked for the opportunity to step to another group. They were doing some chip design there, and I wanted to design this chip. I, lo- I would have loved to do it. So I went over, I interviewed with them, they accepted me, I was ready to move. My director of engineering took me out to lunch and sat me down and said, I want to let you know, I'm not going to let you go. I said, okay, can I ask why? And he said, yeah, you're the lead engineer on this program that you'd be leaving. We have 50 engineers on it. 
And if you leave, the dam breaks and it's over. They're all gone. Everybody's getting afraid of what's going on in this group. And right now, you're representing a lead position. I need you to sit still. I said, well, Rick, how long is this project going to be? I, and he said, well, about two years. Okay, that's not sitting still. That's laying dead, right? And I'm like, all right, here we go. I said, are you sure? You're absolutely positive. You're not going to let this change. He said, I'm really not. I need you to stay. I said, so my only chance to move is, he said, leaving the company. That'd be your only chance to move, not within the company. Okay. So I went back the next day and started up work as if this conversation never happened and I was just on the path for doing this thing. And we ended up doing some design work. We went along the way. You know what? There was a chip problem that we were doing as we were building this board. There was a problem with one of the chips. I ended up designing a fix for it, getting it up and back running again. We had some software bugs. I ended up designing fixes, getting it back up running again. We got the whole thing running. We got all the way through the summer. And he takes me out to lunch again and he says, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? And he goes, what are you doing? Like three times you could have let this project die and you could have gone and gotten what you wanted. Why did you keep doing this? I said, Rick, you, you asked me to do it. I'm following through. He goes, I've just never, I've never seen this before. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm great for it. I'm, I appreciate it. Just keep doing it. Let's see where we get. Now I'll tell you, here's the end of it. A year later, the telecom collapse occurred and the first groups to be cut would have been the group that I went to. If I had gone over there, I'd have been gone. God had a plan, and he ended up pulling me back to the core center of where that group had been. This group that I was originally with had been there for 20 years, and they weren't about to cut it in the near term. And I ended up having a job there for five more years in the midst of some nasty telecom cuts. God was protecting in the midst. I could have thrown a fit. I could have talked about how unfair it was. I could have blistered and gone loose on it, and instead, I didn't get it. I just, I worked through it. There were moments where I did have my temper tantrums. Believe me, it was tough. But, but nonetheless, worked as hard as I could. And in the end, God blessed it. I can only tell you this. God's picture is bigger than ours. Amen? That's the answer. God's picture is bigger than ours. Lean on him and trust him. Serve him with all you've got. You'll be blown away by what he can provide for you. Trust him with all you have. Trust him with all you have. Whether you're an employee or an employer, whether you're a father or a child, it is about our God, our Savior, our Lord. Lean on him with all you've got. He is shaping and growing you with whatever situation he's put you in. Trust him to grow you as the situation shifts and adjusts. He is an amazing God. Let me pray.